This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to bring you the message today around hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word that it speaks to us. Give us ears open, hearts open to receive from you. Lord, that you would anoint me with this, for this task of preaching your word. And Lord, this, this will be used all for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for those that brought the cake up. Well, friends, who likes our birthday parties? Everyone see the birthday cake here for those sitting at the back? We got a little cake here, a little Woolworths cake with a few candles on it. And at a birthday party, we uh, eat lots of food, and then we gather around the cake, we light the candles, and we all sing the song. What's the song? Uh, yeah, we won't do that. Move on, move on. And then we say, blow out the candles. And as people go to blow out the candles, someone always says, make a wish. And if you're little, you might wish for a pony. If you're a bit bigger, it might be an iPhone 12. Or if you're old, you might want um, better health, uh, more money. Um, fixed up relationship, blah, blah, blah. These are all wishes, yeah? And, and lots of people are going about life um, wishing things to be different, wishing things to be better. Or another way of saying wishing is the way we use the word hope today, that we hope things will be better. We hope the situation will change. We hope there are better days ahead. We hope that our dream will be fulfilled, that our relationship is reconciled. We hope the bills will be paid. We hope we get a pay rise. We hope we pass our exams. And we use the word hope like we use the word wish when we blow out the candles. We say it like it's something that we desire, but there's no guarantee, there's no certainty. Now, you might be able to... Um, have some say in the outcome. So if you study for your exams, you're more likely to pass, but there's no guarantee. The teacher might put something in the exam that you never studied. studied. Or you, you might want to get a, um, a pay rise um, at work, but your boss might overlook you. So you might be able to, like you might work hard at work in order to get the attention of the boss, but they might not notice. And so you can, you can go some way into seeing the things that you hope, wish for, achieved, but there's no guarantee. There's no certainty. Now, I, I want to compare that, that way of speaking about hope as the idea of a wish compared to how the New Testament part of the Bible describes hope and it describes it really differently. The word for hope is a Greek word, elpis. It's used over 50 times in the New Testament. Andrew brought us this message um, last week around this. And, he, and the meaning that Andrew gave us which is what the Bible commentators talk about, is that it's a favourable and confident expectation, a forward look with assurance. Now, if you look at that definition, that's very different from a wish. It uses the word confident expectation. It uses the word assurance. And that's very different from what we have today. Today, we, when we use the word hope, we're talking about something that we desire, something that we wish, compared to how the Bible describes it, as in the New Testament, as an expectation or assurance. And the reason the New Testament talks about hope in this way is because of God. The difference between me, me wishing something and desiring something and with some sort of 
no guarantee. And the difference between me believing, knowing with certainty that this thing in my future is coming is because of God, because of his character, and because of his promises. You know, God is a God who is faithful. God is a God who is right, who is just, who is true. And when God speaks, he speaks with authority and one who can be trusted. And we see that throughout the history of mankind, throughout the history of the scriptures, that God, when he says he's going to do something, he does it. And so when we read the promises of God, they become our hope, they become our certainty, our assurance, because of what God has said to us. Let me give you some of the promises of God. I love talking about the promises of God, because when we know the promises of God, it gives us peace. It gives us confidence to go about life, standing in the promises that God has for us. Here's the first one, Hebrews 13.5. He will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. God is always with you. That's a promise. He promises in Philippians 4 to supply all your needs. He's going to provide all your needs, not all your wants, but all your needs. He promises to forgive you for your sin. He promises that he's no longer angry with you. You are now accepted by God. You're now loved by God. You're now part of God's family. These are the promises of God. Therefore, they are our hope. They're our certainty. They're our assurance. He goes on. More promises. He promises eternal life in John 3.16. He promises to comfort us in all our troubles. He promises that he's going to get everything in our life and he's going to work it together for good of those who love him. He's working all the stuff in life together for our good. He promises to be transforming us to become like his son Jesus. We are, he's promising to do his work in our lives. And finally, he promises that he has good work for us to do. These are some of the, these are some of the promises of God. If, if, if we put our faith in him. See, God has these promises, assurances, guarantees for his, for his people. And these things that God is offering is available to Every person on the planet, every person this is available to, if, if they put their faith in him. As we talk about hope, faith and hope are so intertwined and connected. You can't have one without the other. When I talk about faith, here's the definition of faith. It means to trust, believe. It means to rely upon God. Trust, believe, rely upon. There's the word for faith in the New Testament. And faith and hope are connected. Faith is about today, where hope is about tomorrow. Faith is the gate or the, or, the, or the open door to hope. If you want to have hope, you need to have faith. When I use the word hope, I'm not using hope like a wish. I'm using it hope like an assurance, a certainty. Because God gives us promises, and if you want to receive those promises, you need to put your faith, your faith in God. Here's a few scriptures that, that um, show us this in John 3.16. The first bit's about faith. The second thing's about hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes, there's that word for faith, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but our hope is eternal life. You need to have faith in order to have hope. And in Colossians 1.3.5, Paul writes to the church in Colossae and says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. Look at verse 5. This faith and love that spring from the hope, the assurance, the certainty that's stored up for you in heaven. 
Now, as I think about this verse, I wonder if I wonder how Paul's using the word faith here. Maybe he's and and we're not exactly sure, but I'm, I'm going to make an assumption that they reckon there's two parts to this faith thing. The first part is that when we hear the gospel preached to us, we hear this message that God wants to forgive you for your sin, that God wants to restore your relationship with God, that God wants to give you eternal life. It's there, it's available. And if you want it, you need to put your faith in him. Okay, Jesus, I want it, I'm going to put my trust in you. It's a saving faith that leads to hope. But then as believers, like it talks about here, that because we have this assurance, because of the promises of God, because of all that God's done for us, we respond, it springs us into action. That is to continue to put our trust in him, to continue to have our faith in him, rely on him for life, and also love his people out of a response to the hope that we have in Christ, eternal life. See, faith and hope are super, super connected. Let me give you the summary so far. We're going to do a series on hope until Easter. And there's some things, some foundational pieces that I want you to grab a hold of as we go through this. And here's a summary of where we've been today. Biblical hope is not a wish. Not like that. Rather, it's an expectation. I believe I'm going to get this. I'm confident. Second thing. Faith in God leads to hope. If you want his promises, you want the assurance, you've got to put your faith in him. And number three, hope is the expectation of the promises of God. The assurance is in his promises because of what he said. There's a summary, there's a foundation in which we, in which we launch this series and move forward. So what do we do with this, friends, this uh, summary? Well, let me say that if you're watching this or if you're in the room here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, all the promises that I mentioned earlier are available to you if, if you choose to put your faith in him. And if you're a Christian and you're hearing this message, whether online or in the room, all those promises are for you. And you can walk through life in confidence. You can walk through life in peace, knowing the hope that you have in Christ. Knowing the hope that you have in Christ. Today I want to take you, and over, um, over the next four messages, I want us to look at the book of Deuteronomy. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, God speaks to his people about a hope. And this hope is a lot around the land that our God has um, promised to his people. And throughout the Old Testament, God talks a lot about the land as a promise, as an inheritance, as something that the Israelites to, to have hope and, and believe he's coming. This land is, is a massive deal. We are first hear about this land um, 600 years before Deuteronomy through Abraham, where God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, you're the guy. I'm calling you out. And you and your descendants are going to be my representatives on the earth. And he promised him lots of things. One of them was through one of your descendants, is going to, the whole world's going to be blessed, and that's Jesus. But also one of the promises was this land that God promised to Abraham. And he promised it to his son Isaac and his son Jacob. And, the, and, and to all his, Jacob's descendants, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That's where we get the, the our title Israel from. And Israel had the 12 sons, which became the tribes. And this promise to God's people was this land. The people end up in Egypt because um, of the famine and God takes them down and he grows them. They end up as slaves, and then God sends a deliverer, Moses, 
to rescue his people out of Egypt. God does these incredible signs and gets, people, gets them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. God gives them his law. And then they head north up to the edge of the Red Sea. And at that moment, they say, not to the edge of the Red Sea, into the edge of the promised land. Did someone hear that mistake? That was a mistake. They get to the edge of the promised land. And before they go in, they, God says, they say, there's lots of conversation about why this happens, but they decide to send 12 spies into the land. Go and check out this land that God has promised us. And the spies come back and they say, wow, the land is incredible. It's just like God has said. There's, there's, there's cities already built. There's um, vineyards already planted. There's crops. There's green grass. There's clean water. There's, there's fish in the river. Amen to that, all the fishermen. There is everything that, there's everything that we could possibly desire in this land. Remember, these people have been slaves, yet a land that's not theirs, and they're about to inherit this beautiful land. And then we read this. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Now, Deuteron- let me go back and say this to you. The uh, book of Deuteronomy is Moses speaking to the Israelites. He's speaking to them 40 years after they left Egypt. And, they are, and he's retelling the stories of what God has done. And he retells the story 40 years earlier of the spies going into the land, which I just shared with you. And this is what, this is what Moses said happened. After the spies came back and said, the land is beautiful, this is what it says, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord, your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They've heard the stories of this beautiful city. But they say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large. The walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. So the spies come back with with this story that the land is incredible. There's cities, there's vineyards, there's all the stuff that, that they would possibly want. But there's also people there, and, and they have walls, and they have armies, and, 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 and oh dear, oh dear. And the people hear that, and they go, you know what, we can't go. I want to make three comments about this. And the first thing is this, that, that the land was occupied. This, this, this our land wasn't empty. It meant going in to fight battles and go to war against the people living in the land. Now, if you're new to Christian faith, or you're new to, um, or you're checking out Christianity, you might think to yourself, how is it fair that God is going to get his people and kick out and wipe out, actually, and kill a whole bunch of other people that are living in there first, um, who are living in that land first? Surely that's not fair. And that's a really reasonable question. But as you get to know God more, you will see that God is a God of holiness and purity. That God is the, actually the boss of this whole, whole earth. We think we're the boss and we get to make the decisions, but we're not. He's the boss and he makes the decisions. And he is a holy God. He is a God who is without sin and sin is a massive problem to him. As we look at Deuteronomy, we're going to look at 
what God says about sin, and it is a massive, massive problem. And these people that were currently living in the land, they were wicked people. They were involved in all types of witchcraft. They were involved in temple prostitution. They were involved in worshipping other gods. And, and, and one of the practices is, is that they would get their babies and sacrifice babies to these gods. They would, there was this god that, that this made of iron with arms like this, and they put fire, and they heat up the arms, and when the arms were red hot, then they put the baby on as a way of worshipping their god. Hence the wickedness of these people, and God went, I cannot have my people living with them because they will corrupt my people, so they need to go. That's the first comment I want to make. The second comment I want to make is that the Anakites are there. Now, the Anakites were a group of people who were really tall. Numbers chapter 13 says that they were, the, the, the Israelites were like grasshoppers to them. They were giants, yeah? A bit like, pick someone really, really big. And the other thing about, and, 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 and the third thing I want to say is, is, that the, is that the response of the Israelites not going into the land made total sense. Because in the natural, it would have seemed totally impossible for them. Remember, they were slaves. They weren't armies. They didn't have walled cities to protect them. Remember, they were going to places where the walls were high, where they were already set up for people to come against them. They had kids and they had women and they had... They were ill-equipped to go in and take this land that God had for them. And they responded out of their own ability, by putting their faith in themselves rather than in God. See, God had promised that he was going to give them the land. The next verse there talks about, Moses says, God's going to fight for you because in your natural you can't do it, but with him the promises of God become a reality and become um, true for you. And even though they saw the plagues and the coming out of Egypt and the opening of the Red Sea and God gave them the law and he led them with a cloud and the fire and he did all that he did for them, they didn't put their faith in him and because they didn't put their faith in him, they missed out on the promises of God. That's the important bit for today. If you don't put your faith in him, you miss out on the promises of God. As a result, that group didn't go into the land. They wandered in the desert 40 years until that whole group died out other than their leaders that said they wanted to go in. And so then we land in Deuteronomy. Some 40 years later, and Moses retells the story to the people who are again at the edge of the promised land, about to go in. He tells them about the faithfulness of God. He tells them about the law of God so they know how to live when they enter the land. And then the people then have a choice to respond like the first generation did or to respond in faith. You know, God is the God of the second chance. How many people know that? That God is the God of the second chance. He's their second chance. Jumping over to Deuteronomy chapter 9. So the first eight chapters, Moses said, this is what's happened. This is how God wants you to live. And then he says this to the people at the time. Here, Israel, you are now about, for the second time, some 40 years later, you're now about to cross the Jordan and go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you. We've large cities that have walls up to the sky. If you're scared, there's a good moment to be scared right there. The people are strong and tall. The Anakites are there. Those big people. We're like grasshoppers to them. They are giants. You know about them and heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. 
He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. Two different responses. The first response was, 40 years early, they didn't go. This group said, yes, God, we're in. Yes, God, it's scary. The walls are huge. But you've promised it. You're going before us. We're going to put our faith in you. And that's what they did. They crossed into the land and took the land, just like God had said. Two different responses. One people went with faith and received the promises of God. Those people didn't put their faith in God and they missed out on what he had. And so that is also true for us today. As we put our faith in God, he gives us the hope, the assurance that we see in Scripture. Here's the promises of God again. He promises if you put your faith in him, to never leave you nor forsake you. And because of that promise, church, if you're a person who believes in Jesus, you do not need to walk around in fear, unsure of how you're going to handle situations, how you're going to go through life. You know why? Because God is with you through every situation, through the good bits, through the bad bits. He walks with you. The second promise is about providing for our needs. Friends, you do not need to be afraid of how you're going to feed your family or the clothes on your back. God is going to supply what you need. That's what he promises. Not what you want, but what you need. You do not need to be worried. Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount, you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat. For God is the one who provides for you. The next promise is around forgiveness of sin. You don't need to go around beating yourself up, thinking to yourself, you're not good enough, or I've done this and I've done this and I'm unworthy. You know why? Because God has forgiven you. You are forgiven. You are seen as washed, clean. And when you see yourself like that, you go, you know what? I ain't as bad as what I think I am. For God has forgiven me. I can step out. I can do the things that God wants me to do because I'm forgiven. The next promises of God, God is no longer angry with you. Friends, you don't need to be afraid of God. The Bible says when you're outside of Christ, God's anger is upon you. But when you come to Jesus, Jesus takes that anger off you and and he took it at the cross. God's anger has been appeased for everybody who's put their faith in him. You don't need to be afraid of God because he's not angry with you. The next one is around acceptance. You have been accepted by God. And because God has accepted you, you do not need to look for belonging in other places. You don't need to go, do I belong there? Do I belong there? I want to fit. Where do I fit? Where do I fit? No, God has accepted you. The next promise, he says that you are loved. You don't need to look for love in other places. If people aren't loving you like they should, you can go back to God and know what, that he loves you and that he is for you and that he's accepted you and he's lavished love upon you. The next promise is that we are part of God's family. Friends, you belong. You are part of the family of God. Where do you fit? You belong in his family. More promises. He talks about the promise of eternal life. You know, as we get older, we start to ask the question, how long have I got? How many more years? And what's it like at the end? Is there something after? Well, the Bible promises. There is eternal life that starts now as a believer, but there's this hope of heaven that we saw in Colossians 3. There's this hope of heaven that is for every believer who puts their trust in Jesus. You do not need to be afraid of death because death is just the next step in the journey of walking with God. 
There's no fear in death for the Christian. There is no fear in death. The next promise, that he promises to comfort us in all our troubles. How are you going to go through that hard situation, the death of a loved one? How are you going to go through the hard situation, the loss of a job, whatever it is? Friends, God will comfort you. It's a promise that we see in 2 Corinthians. That's how you're going to get through, by the comfort of God. The next thing, working together. God works everything together for the good of those who love him from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. The situations that you go through, they're not wasted. The good situations, the bad situations, the mediocre. God can get those situations and use them for his purpose. To change you, to build in you, to transform you. And all, in other words, to, to help others and move others in like the little chess pieces around the board so God will achieve his purpose. He gets all the things and brings them together for good for those who love him. Number the two to go, second last one, that he, the promise is that he's transforming you to be like his son. You think you can't change. You think you're stuck where you're at. There's no way forward. Well, friends, God is already doing working you by his spirit. God is not leaving you as you are. You can change. He's doing that work in you. God is changing you. You don't have to be the same tomorrow or next week. You've got to struggle, bring it to him, and he can bring transformation to your life. And finally, God has good works for us to do. Friends, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He is not finished with you yet. And as Charles said in that life group video, he's not too old to learn. Yeah. And I want to say to those who feel like they're getting older, God's not finished with you yet. He has good works for you to do. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. So as we come to the end of this message, as we think about the promises of God, first I want to speak to believers and I want to say, if you're a person who's put your faith in God, those promises are for you. And you can walk through life in peace and confidence because of what Christ has done for you, because of the hope that you have through Jesus. And if you're here and you're listening to this, either in the room or online, and you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, I've just told you about the promises of God and the result of the promises of God. You only receive those promises, that hope, that assurance, that certainty, by putting your faith in him. So if you want to put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer that says, I believe who you are, Jesus, that you died for me and rose again. I'm sorry for my wrongdoing and I choose to commit my life to you. If you want to pray that prayer and you're serious about it, you'll become a Christian. And that's the first step, first step of faith. And if you pray this prayer, we want to help you in the journey. Let's pray and then I'll tell you your next step. Let's pray. If you want to pray this prayer to become a Christian, pray these words after me. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you just pray that prayer, you just put your faith in Jesus. And those promises are available. They're open. They're now a certainty, a certainty for you. You know, that's the first step in the journey. If you pray that prayer today and you're in the room, I encourage you to go to the Start Here desk or come to the front and someone will pray with you at the end of this message. And if you're watching online, click on the prayer tab and someone will pray with you and help you take your next step. If you're watching online, be blessed. I will let you um, reflect on these questions. 
Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church Podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. 